Welcome back to Beyond the Veil, everybody. Today we are discussing Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 16, Through the Trapdoor. We have arrived the denouement of our first book, and I am your host, Madison. And I'm your host, Rebecca. Today we are going to try a new way of summarizing this, um because sometimes we get a little carried on and I don't know if this will help that, but it might, you know, it might help us cover more of the chapter because <laughs> we don't always talk about the entire chapter. We rarely talk about the entire chapter. We, we focus in on a few things and then, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Anyway, <laughs> moving on from our weaknesses. Um, our strengths are that we enjoy MySpace in yes. early 2000s. Um, web pages. So, um, <laughs> early 2000s MySpace had one of the most incredible features of any website ever, which is the top eight feature where you rate your friends based on how much you like them. <laughs> yep. Ideal, honestly. So, this week we're going to um, rate Harry's friends and what we think he would rate them as if he had a MySpace in this chapter. <laughs> 100%. Shall we start with his number one? I think that'll be the easiest, yeah. Great. Well, I feel like I feel like there's a strong case for Ron here at number one. I agree. Um, you know, basically sacrifices his own life, and yeah, you know, in the chess game, can't can't get much more like top eight, top one than that. So I agree, and I think that like Hermione definitely helps him out just as much, but Hermione also has um, a bit where she's just like. You're just stressed because of the test. Don't even worry about it, Harry. Like, mm-hmm. your scar hurting's no big deal. And Ron's just like, no, this is serious. Let's go. Yeah. And I don't think that necessarily Ron is the most helpful, <laughs> but he's definitely the most um, supportive in the way that Harry is looking for. So yeah. I think Harry would, would definitely go with, with Ron for the number one spot. 100%. Um, and I do think that Hermione would probably be right there at number two, though. Oh, for sure. I agree. So number one and number two, we have Harry and we have Ron. Mm-hmm. I think that then we got to ask ourselves, you know, who's coming up next? We've got, we've got Neville. Um, you know what? It's got to be Hagrid, right? That you know, Hagrid does give them some very important information. Yeah. So Hagrid, I mean, there's there's two sides of this. Hagrid gives them the information of how to get past Fluffy, but he also admits that he told. Um, we're assuming Snape at this point. Mm-hmm. So from Harry's point of view, he told Snape how to get past Fluffy too. Right. So that's less than ideal. Totally. But I mean, Harry would never have gotten this far without Hagrid blurting no. out things to him. So like, I think Hagrid's definitely and it feels like still on the good side. Yeah, he, he accepts that this is part of Hagrid and one of the unfortunate like liabilities of being his friend Um, (laughs) the liabilities of Hagrid's charm yes so I think that number three spot would not be uh, unmerited based on this chapter we also have also in this chapter we have McGonagall we have Snape we have Neville um, we have uh, Peeves Peeves, and we have I guess Fluffy (laughs) Oh, God, I love Fluffy. Right. Um, I would say 
Snape is probably at the bottom of the top eight right now. Just Mm -hmm. he doesn't do anything to help Harry. And also at this point, he actively believes that Snape is stealing the stone. So I think he's, you know, he's definitely in the number eight position. Yeah, I agree. Um, Peeves, you know what? Peeves is a little annoying, but Harry has, I love this part, actually. (laughs) Um, Harry pretends to be the bloody baron underneath the invisibility cloak and it's just like peace i have my own reasons for being invisible <laughs> i'm quoting the audiobook which is how i listen to this chapter by the way and i just realized that like this voice isn't a thing in the book but like in the audiobook this is what it sounded like 100 so, <laughs> in the audiobook harry's like i have my own reasons for being invisible <laughs> and <laughs> Peeves is just like, oh, of course, of course, your bloodiness. I'm so sorry. I will, I will get, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna skedaddle. It's, don't worry about me. And it's great. So it's just such a good scene. It's amazing. And I, I love that we have this moment where Harry, like, outwits Peeves a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's very cute. And, and because Peeves doesn't get you know, he doesn't really obstruct the night too much. So I would I would say he might, you know, he might be higher up than I initially thought he would be. And he gives Harry a little confidence boost before going into things, I think, too. Totally. I, I don't think it would be out of, uh, that would be outrageous to put Peeves at number four. I don't think so. Plus, it gives um, gives us a little bit more of insight of uh, his relationship with uh, Nero has Nick is how he knows that Peeves is scared of uh, the Bloody Baron. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just gives us a little more context of of the ghostly community, which I love. Absolutely. So we are left with Fluffy, McGonagall, and Neville as our five, six, and seven. Where do we think Neville falls in among these people and would, creatures? Yeah, I would think Neville would probably be number five because he is he is trying to kind of stand in their way. But he's doing it for the right reasons. And I think that Harry probably does admire his courage a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think that it's a little inconvenient. But they're all, like, you can see how much it pains them to be telling him no and to be, like, stopping them. Yeah. Because, like, they they literally are so sad. And they say that, like, it doesn't feel good to be starting off this way. Um, Because they don't want to do this to Neville. Yeah. Not that that makes it better, necessarily. (laughs) But um, from Harry's point of view, I, I don't think that they hold it against Neville at all, that he tries to get in their way. Mm-mm. And I think that they do respect him for it a little bit. So Totally. I would definitely see him being... I almost feel bad putting him below Peeves, honestly. Yeah. I think if we're looking from Harry's point of view... <laughs> I think that Peeves is less of an obstruction this evening than Neville, unfortunately. It's true. It's true. Okay. Uh-huh. But I think, I think Solid at number five is where we're going to... For Neville. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so we have Fluffy and McGonagall. McGonagall was no help at all and told them to just knock it off. Mm-hmm. Whereas Fluffy just needed to take a nap, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling that. I feel like McGonagall was just really uh, not there. If, mm-hmm. if the students are talking to you about the Sorcerer's Stone, you must know something is going on for them to even know about it. And she didn't... You know, she didn't. She should, yeah, she should be asking for more information. Exactly. And Fluffy is a cute dog. So. Yeah. And he's just doing his job. Mm-hmm. He's a dog with a job. 
yeah, I think I think it looks like we've got Ron as Harry's number one, mm-hmm. Hermione is number two, Hagrid, Peeves, Neville, McGonagall, McGonagall, and Snape. And Snape. Yeah. Yep. All right. I think we have that's rated it. our friends this week. <laughs> <laughs> so that should give everyone a pretty good idea of where we are in the books. So today, as we did go through the trap door, um, Patronus fuel took place in the midst of terrifying times for the trio. And I legitimately cried reading Hermione give that classic line. She's like, they're more important things like friendship and bravery. And like, damn, just the, the stakes of this moment. We've just been at school and all of a sudden now we're in like a portal to hell in the underworld <laughs> and people are dying. It's got real in just two chapters. All of a sudden everything was horrifying. Yeah, I... So I don't like that she downplays like the that she's just books and cleverness because like that's not all she is. Fair. Like she's definitely is a great friend and she's definitely she's like very obviously pretty brave. I mean, look at where she's at. Yeah. Um, and like she's a Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. But so I I don't like that she downplays herself. But I I do love that she like she like Harry needs to do this. He needs to be the one. He needs to be confident. And she gives the most like. She just tells him exactly what he needs to hear. Yeah. Which is very admirable. Emotional intelligence unmatched. Yes, exactly. Especially with the lack of emotional intelligence <laughs> we see from the other kids. <laughs> right. Oh. I, think that, I think we were nonstop talking about that last week with Ron of just like his emotional intelligence is a disaster. It, constantly. Constantly. Such a, a rollercoaster. Oh, so, yeah, I definitely agree. She needs to be more. Uh, she doesn't need to downplay herself to make Harry feel good. Um, but this was a good response for this moment. And uh, uh, just really felt that, like, the authentic connection between them as friends really strongly in this part. Yeah, it kind of, like, more solidified her as being their friend than just, like, some person that got lumped in with them because of their shared traumas. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Which was how they initiated the friendship. You know. <laughs> you know. As you do. <laughs> That's how things work out sometimes. My Patronus feel is um, whenever they're kind of talking about first going into... I don't know, what is it? It's a dungeon. A, the, it's like a chamber, basically. It's yeah. not the chamber of secrets. It's the chamber of the mirror. <laughs> the mirror. The mirror. That sounds cooler almost. It does. The chamber of the mirror. So Harry's talking about how he has to go down and they're all just like, are you stupid? Like, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll go. I'll have the invisibility cloak. I got it back just because, you know, someone magically returned it to me. Um which is more of Dumbledore being irresponsible, which we can talk about later. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then he says, um, but I'll wear the invisibility cloak. And I think it's Ron says, but will it cover all three of us? And it's like, not even like a, well, we're going with you too, you idiot. It's just a like assumption of like, can we all get them in there? Like, yeah. Is that a thing? Um, and like Harry had never even like, thought to ask them to come with him because it was so dangerous and he's just like you you can't come with me like this is dangerous and like we know we're not stupid (laughs) but like we're coming anyway (laughs) we will be there Um, yeah and it's just like 
for 11-year-olds, very, it's very good and pure and stupid, but (laughs) it's like, you never want to be in the position as an 11-year-old where that is the choice you're having to make, but it speaks wonders of their character that that is the choice that they make for their friend. Yeah, exactly. In contrast to things that we love, there were a couple of things we truly despised and enchantingly nasty. Um, One of those being another opportunity to complain about Dumbledore. My favorite hobby. It's the best. (laughs) (laughs) I am frustrated with Dumbledore because... You know, he gets this owl that summons him to the Ministry of Magic, and I can't help but see the similarity in when I think it's Order of the Phoenix, they like, they summon the Dursleys to this fake lawn, best lawn or garden competitions. They give them a fake invitation so that they drive out and leave Harry behind so that they can pick him up. And... It's like this is this is one of the oldest tricks in the book, but Dumbledore is just so like used to being needed and used to like giving advice and you know being summoned that he just like he automatically believes it in this moment where it would really be great for him to not leave the school. <laughs> yeah, I mean he made this like whole special thing of like he got a giant dog he got Mm -hmm. all these like potions he got a massive amount of devil snare yeah like he went through so much effort to make this super dangerous thing like he knows how important this is and then he just leaves it's so obnoxious (laughs) just he you you put this thing in the school and you leave it behind like you make this a place that is a potential you know, it's a potential attraction for really um, nasty characters to come in and steal something and be around all these children. And then you yourself, who you know, like Dumbledore is not going to be one to underestimate his own importance in the situation. Like, mm-hmm. you you should know that you need to be here to prevent somebody from... Because he knows that stuff is going on. He's having Snape investigate Coral. <laughs> Like, well, plus they know that somebody broke into Gringotts yeah. and didn't get caught. Like, they already know that somebody very, very capable of, like, impressive theft is out there looking for this. Because mm-hmm. nobody's ever gotten in and out of Gringotts undetected. Like, that's not a thing. No. And so, like, I mean, he knows that somebody super, clearly super dangerous is looking for this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. He's obnoxious, and and that's that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing we always talk about, basically. It's mm-hmm. his, his self-importance is getting in the way of him making good decisions. Yep. Yep. Um, another enchanting, nasty thing this chapter is, unfortunately, what happens with Neville. Mm. So we talked about a little bit of how he gets in their way. We did not talk about the fact that Hermione uses a full body binding charm on him, um, which makes him fall flat on his face, which sounds incredibly painful. Yeah. Ouch. I'm just like, I mean, it's a castle, so like, I just imagine it has stone floors. Ooh, yeah. They could have, there's just so many options 
uh, to aside from just like okay well he's in our way just hex him and let's move on and not like because neville's like neville's just trying to do the right thing here he's not you know he's not trying to be like haha i will prevent you from saving the sorcerer's stone (laughs) like yeah he just doesn't want them to like well he doesn't even know about the sorcerer's stone Mm -hmm. i wish that she could have done like a shield charm like to prevent anybody from leaving the common room maybe yeah i don't know uh they're just like aside from the fact that like yeah it was something that she felt she needed to do i don't think that she should have been able to do it Mm -mm. i don't think that kids should be able to do full body binding charm like that just sounds dangerous and like irresponsible and like how do the kids have access to even knowing about these kinds of things right like any book that has something like that should be restricted it shouldn't be something that they can just do willy-nilly while adults aren't there to look and prevent in the wrong hands like that could cause really serious harm yeah especially as first years yeah like i mean if she'd have missed and it hit somebody else and like there's all kinds of like dangerous situations where somebody loses the ability to like you know move their body then they can get seriously injured i mean look at what happens like later in the series neville or not neville (laughs) draco does that to harry in the train and then covers him with the invisibility cloak and like beats the shit out (laughs) yeah (laughs) and he can't defend himself because he's frozen a little bit of karma but like (laughs) but still not not deserve necessarily um it's, it's just it doesn't seem like something that these kids should be able to do no because we clearly can't trust them with it it's garbage honestly that (laughs) yeah it just reminds me of like um like interviews i've seen of like the actors in the movies where as soon as the scenes were over they would um the kids would get the wands taken away from them and they'd all get locked up Mm -hmm. so like they they wouldn't the actors wouldn't be breaking all these wands or anything because they took so long to make and everything like that and i just i feel like these kids should not have access to their wands 24 7 you reminded me of it's a clip i just i just watched the daniel radcliffe episode of hot ones and when he was allowed to like have his wand in between takes and stuff he would be drumming on his thighs and then he broke dozens of wands because he was drumming with them there was like a video recently that was going around a lot that um they asked him, they were like, do you know how many wands you went through throughout the entire series? Like, all of the films? And he was like, oh, I don't know. And they are like, you went through 80 wands. And he was like, 80? 80? Oh my god. And he was very shocked. But, like, he went through 80 different wands because he broke them all. And can you imagine these little, like, kids with these wands that have, like, very expensive cores of, like, unicorn hair and stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, Shit's expensive. And yeah. The wands are disproportionately cheap, which doesn't make sense. That's a whole other argument. <laughs> but still, like, we see whenever, like, Ron's wand gets broken, he can't just, like, go out and replace it right away. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not something that's easy for these kids to replace. And the same with, like, whenever Draco's wand gets, like, broken or stolen or something, it stops responding to him properly whenever he has to use his mom's wand. It's negligence. Like, yeah. Like, your wand is very, like important and connected to you so like why are we letting these kids mess around with them i don't know it's like it's something that needs to like many other things be much more closely monitored so that the kids don't end up like 
hurting themselves through all of this. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they like nearly kill each other on accident so many times in this series. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sectum Sempra. Exactly. Yeah. Like literally. Yeah. Mm. Just straight up murder in yep. the bathroom. <laughs> 100%. This week for Akio Fandom, we found a delightful uh, wizard rock song. Um, it is by the band Riddle TM. Um, and it's just called Through the Trap Door. And it is very cute. It's got lyrics such as, All of this year there's been a mystery in my new school. And I can't rest until I found out what's going on. Missing parcel, a troll, and a dead unicorn. It doesn't make much sense, but I know we'll get there in the end. Which I feel like really captures the kind of chaotic Hogwarts energy of this whole first book. Mm -hmm. And we go through the trapdoor in this song. It's very... uh, (laughs) adds some like cheerful, positive, high beat energy to this um, trial of a chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very needed. Yes. I think. Because I don't we haven't even really gotten into talking about the actual trials that they go through. <laughs> no. Which are like super cool. <laughs> yeah, we do we do see some of the uh, things that they do. Like we'll play this chess game, fight those deadly poison vines, solve the riddle, walk through fire, and maybe make it out alive. Uh, it's a great song. We'll have a link to it. Um, but definitely check it out. Because Wizard Rock just makes everything better. It really does. Also, I love the the poison thing. I mean, it says poison vines, but that's putting two things together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the like poison ah, the part, the, the logic little, like, puzzle. potions, the logic puzzle that yes. Hermione gets through. That was one of my like favorite things that we only get in the book. It's incredible and. I like every time I look at it, I remember, um, I think it's in the PC game. You get to, um, what is it? Like you, (laughs) it's really funny because you just have a bunch of them and it's not a logic puzzle. Instead, you just have to memorize where the right one goes and they like Mm. move around really fast. And eventually they start moving really fast. And Hermione's voice actress just goes, oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so that's I, I want to solve that logic puzzle, though. I want to find a version of it. I'm sure there I'm sure it exists. I just have never seen it. I was just like, because I told you I was listening to, this to the audiobook. And I was like listening to the riddle. I was like, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's very confusing. She's very like, I got, smart. Like, like the first couple things, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like, okay, that makes sense. And I was like, okay, I'm lost. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> the red one is next to the yellow, and yellow can never be next to blue. <laughs> that kind of situation. Another, <laughs> that was the Hobbit game where you had to do exactly this. <laughs> so, like we said, like these would be super fun trials, and it's really cool how they represent the seven books. That's pretty dope. Um, yeah, I still think it is kind of funny that Fluffy is just supposed to represent the entirety of book one. Um, but we've got the vines for Chamber of Secrets, which are snakeish, but also kind of herbology-ish. Um, okay. Mandrakes. Yeah. And then book three, we've got broomsticks. We've got, you know, something special to catch. Because Quidditch is such a focus of book three. 
Um, it's true. Then the chess game, which is a lot like the tournament. And uh, it also just kind of reminds me of the whole like labyrinthine structure of Goblet of Fire being in the middle of the series. Um, yeah. And Order of the Phoenix is a troll, which <laughs> there are so many, <laughs> so many reasons that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then Half Blood Prince. We have Snape's riddle, the six, or, or with all of the, and then all the potions, and then Book Seven, the, the final countdown. Um, <laughs> I love that theory. That's one of I I did a whole yeah. like workshop on that once. I, I went to the workshop at a convention because that's what you do at Harry Potter conventions. It's true. Justice. Yeah. Department of Social Justice. Uh, we have lots of school-related social justice issues that mm-hmm. just kind of all really unhappy with this combination of Harry, you know, worrying about a silvery-blooded-mouthed murderer <laughs> wandering the forest. Um <laughs> Snape stealing the stone, his scar is hurting, he's getting nightmares, all while he's, like, having, he's having to get ready for, like, final exams, like, the star test and shit. And it's also the final exam for, like, a topic that he didn't even know existed until this year. Right? Like, there's all of these different magical things of, like, I mean, there's, like, astronomy, and there's herbology, and there's potions and all this stuff. And, like, he never knew any of this was even, like, real right? until this year. And now he's expected to have these, like, massive tests on it. And it's, ugh. Can you imagine having, like, like something like history of magic, you know? Okay, this is another branch of history I have to learn. But something like transfiguration, where you're literally studying, like, the theory of what things are and how they can become something else. Like... There's no what what muggle background could get you I guess like if you were really far along in math and doing like topology and stuff cuz in high level math you can do weird transformational things in geometry but Perry's not taking like linear algebra or topology classes he's in like the equivalent of 5th grade Yeah fun fact um I have a math, math disorder so I'm actually at a 3rd grade math level Sick <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is like college level, and then math is just like third grade. <laughs> you know, that's fine. <laughs> you can get really it's good. It's never gotten in my way. <laughs> like, just master third grade level math. Oh, I have. Good. I'm pro. Well, no, I think I've mastered up till second. Third grade is when we hit multiplication tables, and that's where the trauma began. <laughs> mm, I see. I see. <laughs> it happened that way for many people. Those damn ice cream sundae type competitions. Ugh. They had these little planes that would move whenever you got to the next timetable, and mine was oh always God. behind. Everyone else's plane traveled the world. Mine did not. Wow. <laughs> I got to stay in at recess. <laughs> Fuck that. It literally, I've talked about it in therapy as an adult. <laughs> Jesus, please. So, anyway, that kind of ties in with what yeah, our topic is here. Listen to episode um, one of test- Beyond the Veil for more. <laughs> That was literally one of the topics, this horrendous math. Fuck times tables. I'm sorry. Teachers, stop doing this shit. 
please. Just, yeah, don't make me stay in at recess for something that clearly is not going to happen. <laughs> Anyways, Ugh. I have some feelings here. All right. Feelings. Fuck that. Um. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> but testing can be super horrendous on students' mental health. And Rebecca, you're doing some incredible research on that before we began recording. Yeah, so there's actually like all kinds of studies about this, like just all kinds of studies about testing and um, test anxiety and how it like affects students. So while there's plenty of things that'll tell you like testing's great because it lets you see where kids are at and stuff like that, in theory, yes, like it's nice to be able to tell where a kid is at and to tell whether or not they've ascertained enough to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I retook my sophomore math class because they were like, so you passed this class, but we don't think you grasped the concepts. And I was like, I did not grasp the concepts. <laughs> so I took it again. Um, and like in that situation, like, yes, it's important to see where kids are at. However, like it should not have taken until, I mean, if, if that was truly what they were doing, it would not have taken until I was like a senior in high school for them to be like, oh, yeah, you have a math disability. No. Like, you have dyscalculia. You can't fucking read numbers. <laughs> uh. um, <laughs> so th- there's just so many problems with what they want testing to be and what it actually ends up being. Mm-hmm. And um, test anxiety is, I think, a little more relevant to what we are talking about here. Um and the problem with test anxiety is that it makes it more difficult for people to even concentrate on tests. It um, affects, like, reading comprehension and things like that. Um, and, like, obviously, if your reading comprehension is compromised, then you're not going to be able to take a test very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a problem of if you tell a kid that they're only as good as their test score then you're, you're not seeing the full kid. You're not seeing what they're actually capable of. Right. So putting all of this stress on these kids at the end of the year, especially when they have all these other things going on, um, is just super unreasonable. Yeah. Especially, so you add on top of that, like poor Harry, who has been re-traumatized out in the forest and... Mm-hmm. You know, even Draco and Neville and Hermione, they should never have gone out in there. They all kind of experienced the secondhand effects of what Harry did. Um, like, well, Ron didn't go into the forest. True, Ron did not. Uh, I was, which I was, I had forgotten about actually. Because mm, that he does in the movie. In the movie, he does. So it is quite normal for many, many people to have test anxiety. But on top of this. You have Harry and probably these other students who are, like, suffering because of outside stressors. Um, And so you're, you know, you're undergoing uh, violence or, um, you know, you're being terrorized. And this stuff doesn't just happen at Hogwarts. Like, this happens for kids who live in really stressful home situations. And... Uh, by POC and LGBTQ plus students are generally at a higher rate of risk than their counterparts. And this can cause like poor sleep quality, being less focused at school, being more irritable, 
And now combine that with like the normal amount of test anxiety that these tests can produce. And it just, it's really awful. And it's like, it feels like a system that is setting people up to like to fail and to be damaged in some way after this, especially people who are already suffering abuses at home. Yeah. It's, um, and then you add in the fact that these kids are only 11 years old. Yeah. Is just ridiculous. Especially because if you think about it, like them being thrown into Hogwarts like this without any prior, um, like basic education, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like if you didn't go to elementary school and then you just got thrown into sixth grade and then had like a major test at the end of sixth grade. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it just, it's super so many stressors for these kids Mm -hmm. and yes it's fiction and yeah they're supposed to be like what's it called in books when there's i forget what the literary term is but like obviously they're supposed to be like hard stuff for them to get through otherwise like you know it's not interesting but like it just it feels weird to just be throwing these kids through so much and it feels almost irresponsible to just like make it seem like kids should be okay with this much stress yeah um because it, it, it can kind of put like kids who are reading it into the position of being like well like you know my stuff isn't that bad like i mean like look at these kids these are my heroes look at harry potter who can get through all of this stuff and he's totally fine like i can do that too yeah. and that shouldn't be the aspiration you shouldn't be trying to be okay through all this stuff no you should um you should be able to like see you know like heroes and stuff like that in books reaching out for help and that's actually something i've noticed a lot in newer books Mm -hmm. like a lot of the the young adult um novels that i've read recently there's therapists in almost every single one like almost in every book i've read lately somebody has some sort of therapy that's and it's really good it is really good i'm just like sometimes it takes forever and sometimes they're just like, I don't need help. And it takes some, like, some convincing and stuff. But like they get to the point where they're just like, yeah, I need help. And for Harry, like he gets to the point of like accepting help from his friends, mm-hmm. which is super good and super great. But, um, but there should be more. And I think that it's really on Hogwarts as well for letting him go through these things. Yeah. Um, letting him go through like people dying in front of him and, um, and all these other things and not offering to talk to him about it yeah i really agree with the idea that the it's like the irresponsibility comes in like the expectation that this is normal and that it will not be talked about like that this is normal enough for nobody to address it and say hey it's really shitty that you went through all of this and that you were also so stressed about final exams. Can we talk about this? It sounds like maybe we need to change something. Yeah. That should be and, what's normal. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, that's what school counselors are for. Yeah. <laughs> Is they're supposed to, like, be able to take a look and see, like, this kid's struggling. Or, like, teachers should be able to, like, go to, like, a counselor or headmaster or somebody and be like, this kid is clearly struggling. He needs help. Like, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like there's any place for the teachers to do that. No. It's 
what's really, I think one of the most heartbreaking things to watch happen in this chapter was watching McGonagall basically brush them off when they came to her with this, you know, this problem that was clearly bothering them quite a bit. And it just became a, nope, you don't need to worry about this. Like mm-hmm. it, if I've learned anything from this reread of this book, it's that schools need uh, school counselors. And even if you don't know that, you know, a kid is going to come to the counselor, you have to create an environment of trust. Like you have to absolutely create a place where students feel comfortable confiding because who knows if McGonagall had, you know, listened to them and tried to help them in any way besides just kind of brushing them off what how many things could have changed you know maybe they would have uh like the next year maybe they would have been able to pass on more of their information about the chamber of secrets maybe they would Mm -hmm. have been able to uh like get serious uh acquitted you know his name cleared before he had to be on the run again yeah so yeah, and I think it's also, it, it shouldn't even just be on the kids to have to, like, reach out Mm-mm. to, like, McGonagall should have seen that, and rather than saying, like, you guys don't need to worry about this, it's taken, like, it's taken care of, she just said, I mean, she could have said that, yeah, but she should have followed it up with, like, that must be really scary that you guys think that this is going on, and that must be really, um, really scary that you think that you're responsible for taking care of this um and she should have done something yeah to make them like if you see kids that think that like the fate of like the wizarding world is on their shoulders you 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 have to say something other than just don't worry about it like we're taking it's fine Mm -hmm. like that's not an appropriate response to the amount of fear that these kids are dealing with no you gotta show them you know show them by listening that you care and that you are listening to make sure you know and then like you know do something with them you know let them let them feel like they have a degree of agency in the situation um that is like monitored by an adult like here, it looks like when a little kid thinks there's a monster in the bed. You you check under the bed and you do all the things and you look in the closet. You don't just say like monsters aren't real, by exactly because like, the kid's still gonna be scared just because you told them it's not it's nothing to worry about doesn't mean they're not gonna worry about it. It's like I feel like it shows a little bit of humility that's important to show as an adult because like mm-hmm. I don't know if you don't check the closet maybe maybe there's someone in there. <laughs> there could be somebody in there. Yeah, you don't know. Like, when I hear, if I hear a sound, I go and I check it out. Like, there's no one left to tell me if there's a monster or not, which is one of the worst things about adulthood is that you have to be the one to check. <laughs> oh, the spider. Oh, I know. Um, so, long story short, tests suck. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> tests are terrible. Don't traumatize children with multiplication tables, you know. Yeah, just let the kids have a good time. They're alive. Yeah. You know? Otherwise, you're going to end up on Harry's... Like, McGonagall is just above Snape in the top eight. Like, that's, you know, that speaks wonders about our feelings about school in this chapter. Yeah, because McGonagall is usually, like, up there. She's usually top four. Oh, yeah, definitely. She's moved down to that bottom row. 
it's it's pretty sad yeah. oh super awkward so, um, you know it's bad when you're below the three-headed dog that's trying to kill you mm. ah minerva gotta do better gotta do better, do better minerva <laughs> she can do better that's what frustrates me exactly we know she's capable of better i feel like the teachers who talked about me in the they're just like we know you're better than this i'm like i'm not <laughs> you don't know me oh the amount of times teachers told me they're just like we know you're smart we don't know why you're struggling i'm just like i don't know either like this is y'all's job (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) moving on from my elementary school traumas um chocolate (laughs) (laughs) imagining mental health care in the wizarding world yes let's do it because we need it we need to talk more about neville who we do like I just, I was thinking a lot about, like, what it must be like for him, like, afterward. Like, you know, he hears, kind of, he gets the rumor mill of what happened down under the school and why Harry, Ron, and Hermione were doing what they were doing. Um, But, like, that's still got to feel weird. Yeah. I mean, just the amount of time that he must have spent being, I mean, essentially paralyzed. Mm Mm-hmm must have been just absolutely terrifying yeah especially when like that was like the one thing that it was just like let's teach like he needs to stand up for himself he needs to stand up for himself and he learned to stand up for himself and everyone was like good job Neville you did really great and then the like second time he goes to stand up for himself I mean it ends up like this yeah like how upsetting is that he like I feel like if I were Ron and Hermione, the first thing I would do, you know, once I knew that Harry was going to be okay, like, I would go to Neville first thing and apologize Mm -hmm. and make that my priority because that's, like, the one thing that they really fucked up on the whole night. Like, yeah. And I just, I don't get that impression that that happened. No. It it doesn't seem like it was their priority at all. Mm Mm-mm. Um, which this is a kid that you're going to grow up with and it's supposed to be like your family. I mean, he's in their house. He's in their, their dorm. Yeah. Like, he sleeps in the same room as them. And yet, like, they can't even, like, trust each other at that point. Mm-mm. So it's it's very sad. Yeah. I just, I hope that, and I know, because he's, he's on the outside of things too, and I just kind of hope that, I don't know. It does seem like he really, in book seven especially, gets the chance to develop his own sense of identity. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's important that, like, to, like, understand that, like, just because you do have, like, a really shitty time as an 11-year-old or 12, 13-year-old, as Neville proceeds to, (laughs) (laughs) um, it doesn't mean that, like, the rest of your life is going to be shit. And, like, there's plenty of kids who had really shit childhoods who end up having really great adulthoods Mm -hmm. and so there's no reason to believe that neville can't like just turn into just the best one out there and if you look at cursed child then like i mean neville definitely is probably up there is better than most of these people yeah um oh yeah but (laughs) which isn't surprising (laughs) because i mean he's a good kid um, but at the, at the same time, like, just because, like, it's not going to necessarily impact him later on doesn't mean that it's not impacting him now and that that's not important. Mm-hmm. 
and they shouldn't just be like, well, it's fine because it was the greater good at the end of the day. Like, they should really be thinking about the fact that, like, what we did happened and it could have lasting effects on this kid that we're supposed to be friends with. Yeah. It's, you know, Nexus. And Neville goes on to, like, trust these these three with, like, his life multiple times. Like, he, he joins, um, like, everything that they do, he joins in with them and stands with them. And he's, like, so supportive of them and the fact that they never really turn around and, like, make it up to him or like show the same sense of loyalty to him mm. is very sad yeah that's a that's exactly what it is they never show that same sense of loyalty and he's done you know so much to earn it over and over again i guess to be more on topic what what mental health care would you recommend to neville um i mean definitely he needs you know he needs to be talking to somebody um yeah he needs someone to talk to for sure yeah he's on top of everything that he's already experiencing, um, just like with his home life and his family, he, you know, he just needs to like, I think really piece out who he is in this kind of, uh, (laughs) chaotic whirlwind of a, uh, life experience. Yeah. I wish that they had like some sort of like mentor program of like, like with the older students, maybe. Right. Some sort of, like, I don't know, like big brother, big sister kind of program thing where, like, they had an older kid that they could go and talk to mm. about things. Just, like, someone who could give advice is not necessarily, like, a teacher who's going to, like, get them in trouble and not necessarily, like, you know, like, Madame Pomfrey or somebody who's just there mainly for, like, physical health care and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think it, it would just be nice to have some sort of person fill a spot like that. Yeah. I feel like Neville would especially benefit from a school counselor because I feel like he would actually like want to go. Yeah. And that's that's a part of him that I think is... Maybe, honestly, that's part of why Harry is so disconnected from Neville so much of the time. Because Neville, mm-hmm. one of his strengths is his vulnerability, you know? he's yeah and he's able to ask for help when he needs yeah help. so that's uh what ends up making him kind of the i mean not to downplay what harry does in deathly hallows but neville is really one of the major heroes <laughs> so he is because i think that neville has more connection with the people around him than harry does yeah i think harry is very much in his own world which is understandable totally but Neville is able to kind of disconnect from that kind of feeling, and he's able to really understand the intricacies of what's going on around him with other people. Yes. Absolutely. And how it affects other people. Which is why I'm very happy he becomes a teacher. He's such a... He's such a good teacher. <laughs> yeah. I don't even see him, right? and I know he's a good teacher. I, I can feel it. <laughs> oh. I hope that, like, as a teacher, he becomes kind of that place for people. Because, like, you see that, like, Lupin's able to do that for Harry. Mm-hmm. But that's more just because of their, like, personal connection with Harry's dad. Yeah. It's not really, like, a teacher role. But I, I I, hope that, like, maybe somebody like Neville could go in and be that kind of role for, like, everybody. Absolutely. Because, you know, there's, there's always, like, a few teachers that, like, you know that, like, you could go and talk to about something and it's not going to be, like, 
sitting down with a counselor or anything, but it's going to be like just a place where you can just say like, this shit's going on. It sucks. And the teacher can be like, yeah, that does suck. A kind uncle figure. Yeah. Like not, not somebody who can like, you know, go through and, and take the place of like a counselor or therapist or anything, but just somebody that you can like vent to a little bit. Yeah. That, that like extra bit of caregiving that everybody needs sometimes. Yeah. Give some advice and stuff. Mm. I feel like in addition to Neville, there's a lot to be said about how like Harry, Ron, and Hermione, like what they undergo in this chapter is a whole mental health escapade in and of itself. That might be something for the next episode because we see kind of the aftermath of it, but like they're willing to put them, they're already willing to put themselves in potentially mortal peril for... Mm -hmm their friend and i don't think that's i mean they know they can die just from the first like they only know what the first the first challenge is is, is that it's fluffy yeah. and they already know that that could kill them mm-hmm. and they're willing to just go for yeah. it they, they can't be certain of they don't because they don't know the challenges that are coming they didn't they don't get it all known beforehand like quirrell does mm-hmm. so feel like we're being quite reflective already so perhaps we we can get into the pensive this is where we turn into if we haven't already turned into a let's shit on hogwarts show then (laughs) that's just what we're doing here (laughs) um because like like mcgonagall blows them off snape clear and snape even more clearly like snape comes up and eavesdrops while they are like okay, oh my god, Like he's going to go and he's going to get the stone and we have to go tonight. He hears them planning something and doesn't, like, does nothing to intervene or protect them or stop them. Dumbledore yeah. is off, like, <laughs> just auto fellatio, here I am, I'm so important, la 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 la. <laughs> uh, like, and then Voldemort's fucking pulling off a heist. Like, I... This is, I'm getting so many Lemony Snicket feelings from this chapter because <laughs> the, the world is on fire everywhere around these kids right now. And it's just really making me feel like Hogwarts is not always, the, the way we idolize people, we can idolize places. And I feel like I always idolized Hogwarts as this amazing place, a, rep- a reprieve for Harry. But I think that Hogwarts may have, equally and maybe even more traumatized harry than the dursleys and um there's a you know he's not there as long as he is at the dursleys and he's not as young but like they're really negligent there and mm-hmm. it's it, i don't know mad sus <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why or what it was that reminded me but i just remembered something that we completely forgot about that happened in this chapter. What was that? That the Weasley twins were tickling the tentacles of the giant squid. Oh, a moment of reprieve as we recognize. I think we need to rearrange our top eight and the giant squid (laughs) needs to be number one. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Number one on my top eight, for sure. 100%. Snape is one of those people that Harry hate follows on MySpace so he can read all of the journal posts where it's like, uh, who is the person you love? And he just puts like a gone frowny face emoji. Um, 
You remember those lists, the like with all the lists of questions and you had to like you copy and paste it from someone. Yeah. That was great. Good time. That was also embarrassing that <laughs> that was allowed to happen. Um Do you remember the like emails, the chain oh emails? My God. That would do those? Yes. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> A moment of joy as we appreciate the giant squid and now return to our bashing of Hogwarts and everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> not everything. No. Not the giant squid. No, not the, never the giant squid. I almost think it would be worth it to be in Slytherin, even though it has nothing to do with... Like, I'm not a Slytherin in any way. But I almost think like it would be worth it to just pretend to be a Slytherin just so that you could have a dungeon that has like sees the Great Lake. Uh, yeah. Cause I just wanna see like the giant squid just like floating on by the window. Uh, would be the, like their common room would It's probably really cool. It's probably the most badass common room. Like I don't know if I would be the most comfortable in it, but yeah. that's you know, that's like having a uh like a skyscraper view in your <laughs> condo or something. <laughs> I love all of their the common rooms though. They're all so they are. They're perfectly matched to what they are. the students need. Okay. So not not all of Hogwarts sucks. We like the common yeah. rooms and the giant squid. <laughs> but other than that Yeah. So I think that there's more of a problem with the like institution of Hogwarts than there is of like the you know, like physical essence of Hogwarts. Um just Harry comes into the school and because it becomes his home and because it's not the Dursleys and because he's allowed to just kind of be himself and have friends for once, Mm -hmm. it it obviously automatically just becomes like the home that he never had. And um and that's great. However, it gives him this like really intense feeling of like like a need to protect it and like this like really strong responsibility for the school mm-hmm. um and as a, a kid in his first year as young as he is um he should be enjoying his time there and and like if it is really gonna have that strong sense of home for him he should be allowed to enjoy that and be comfortable there yeah. because home shouldn't be where you're being attacked and where you're having to go through all of these trials and where you're having to go through terrifying exams that's not what home is no (laughs) not a healthy home anyway and so he should be i mean he should be definitely obviously learning and stuff because like it's school as well as home um but he should be allowed to enjoy the learning aspect of it he should be able to um you know kind of be grateful for it but without having to be pressured to be grateful for it for for taking him away from the Dursleys and taking away his problems that he'd always wanted to be taken away from. Yeah. Um, and it seems like he's just kind of like almost kind of brainwashed into it just because he's told like I mean he's not like straight up told but in a way the way he's just thrown into it it's just like you get to be a wizard now and you get to be at this really cool school and no more Dursleys have fun and you get to like make your own bed <laughs> I don't know like there's there's no like parent parental figure yeah there. um no one's watching the common room no one's like keeping track of them we have like Percy who like watches them occasionally when he sees them mm-hmm. and we have McGonagall who I don't we see in the common room maybe once or twice like they basically have free reign of common yeah. room they're 
given a lot of responsibility and treated as adults, which can be very good, but it's also a lot of responsibility to put on a kid in their first year. Um, I think it makes more sense for like, you know, the last few years of Hogwarts for sure. Like these kids know what they're doing by that point. Um, but at first, like if you tell a kid like, all right, you make your own bedtime, you do your own schedule for homework. No one's going to pester you. No one's going to make you do chores. Mm -hmm. Then like, how are we expecting these kids to be prepared for anything? Um, and then not only that, but we, we see like how much responsibility he feels to go in after um snake yeah like he thinks it is his responsibility to do this and that's so dangerous it is it's so dangerous and it's it's something that we can see like throughout all the way to like book seven you know where when it it becomes clear like oh the last stuff is at hogwarts we're gonna have to go here and protect hogwarts um there's always this call to like protect the home and i think what you said about like it's almost like he's being brainwashed it's it's interesting because like obviously not everybody has the opportunity to have a home that is like ideal um and it's not you know this isn't to bash on the ability to like make the best out of a bad situation but it's you know, you, you can't minimize the pain that people go through if they have something mm-hmm. like this and that it's important to call attention to those problems because if you don't, then you end up just believing like, no, this place was great. This place was fine. This place was perfect. This place did not cause me any problems at all. I am fine. <laughs> Nothing is wrong with me. So it's... um. I don't know it's hard because like on one hand like we all kind of see the the great parts about Hogwarts of like it's a really cool school it's a really cool place it's this castle with magic um so like we can see like how great it is but the, the responsibility there is so overwhelming and intense that like it's not okay yeah absolutely well hogwarts we've given you a thorough spanking today (laughs) (laughs) um i think next week we're in for i mean there's gonna be plenty to complain about but uh i don't know i feel like this book wraps up nicely and uh will alleviate some of the crankiness that i get at the end of this uh, this little portion here Although then we move into Chamber of Secrets and a whole new level of negligence begins. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think we get a lot of a little more, a little more book in there, so we get a little more um, of the happy moments as well. Yes. but there's yeah. Oh, we'll see. We'll see how balanced it is. We will. We'll see what it feels like as we're reading. It's going to be weird to be pulling that one out of the shelf instead. So yeah, <laughs> hope everyone's ready. Unless we have any wild tangents to go on, we can do our outro. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. You can join us next week to discuss chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces, the final chapter of Sorcerer's Stone. Gasp. Ooh. 
Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook. We are Beyond the Veil Pod, and on Twitter, we are Beyond the Veil MN. One almost landed on my head when I was sitting outside today, and it was mm. terrifying. It was very small, oh. but that makes it worse because it could get in your hair. There's one at work, and my driver. Normally, I have the um, the houseman at work take care of it because I'm just like, there's a spider. I need you to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But the guy I was working with that day was also afraid of spiders. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so he was just like, Rebecca, come here. And I was just like, what? And I looked through, and there's this massive spider sitting in the middle of the hallway Ooh. staring at us. And we were both just like, and he was just like, what do we do? I was like, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. So we're like, I don't know. So rather than walking past and going out the door that he had intended to go through, he walked around the entire building <laughs> on the other side door. <laughs> and I went back to the desk and watched on the security camera. <laughs> but then I looked away and it disappeared. <gasps> and then my manager came in. I was just like, there's a mess spider. I could see on the security camera. It was so big. And she's like, where to go? I was like, I don't know. It disappeared. She's like, guys, you can't tell me this. Oh, my we lost God. a giant spider in the hotel, but it's fine. <laughs> Um, speaking of spiders, to connect this to conversations about video games from the early 2000s, <laughs> um, there, so that same Hobbit game where you had to do the, like, organizing the bottles, solving the little logic puzzle, um, there was a level, because it's the Hobbit, you know, there's the spider chapter. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that chapter of the game happens to be absolutely terrifying like it's just you're in this forest level and there's spiders everywhere and like i think that this level is probably terrifying for people who aren't afraid of spiders because they just they pop out at you the way they move is terrible some of them can poison you and some of them some of them are enormous like some of them are are like they're just so big And so I would play this game up until that level and then I would reset it and I would start over (laughs) until finally one year I was like, you know what, this is going to be the time. This is going to be the year that I do this. And so I went to the mall and I went to the candy store and I got a huge bag of red apple jelly beans because that's what you do. And I screamed my way through the game. I'm also happy to hear that I'm not the only one who had a phase with um, apple, red apple jelly beans. Aren't they delicious? They're really good. <laughs> like the, just the jelly belly ones? Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. Like you wouldn't expect that. Like you're not like, what's the best? Like you don't think like red apple, but it's so good. Yeah. Okay. This is, I'm glad to, I, I'm very happy that we know this about each other. <laughs> yeah.